Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. Well, I want you to go ahead and get your Bibles open to Luke chapter 17. I want to continue in our escape room series uh, that we started on Easter Sunday. Uh, while, we're, while we're turning there at Luke 17, 1, I want to give you three, there are three big things this week to remember. Somebody say three things. Okay, three things this week to remember. First of all, if you've been coming to Calvary, if you're brand new or you've been coming for a while, you've heard us talk about Life Track. Three times a year, we have something very special called Life Track. It's where you find a value in the vision of Calvary. It's where you connect to the church. How do I become a member? How do I get involved in a ministry? How do I lead a ministry? How do I grow in my walk with the Lord? That begins this Wednesday night at 630. Uh, when you come, you can just go right in this door here to my right, your left, and we'll be waiting for you there in our room. Uh, we're excited about it. It's one of our great opportunities. Again, maybe you've been coming for a long time. We always have a great mix. And somebody says, Pastor, I'm kind of embarrassed to come. I've been coming to church 10 years. I said, it's great. Come on in. And we're ready for you to take that next step. I have people that have said, Pastor, I came last week. And I just feel like this is where God wants me. So uh, come and you'll find out. It's not a mandatory uh, membership. Uh, in other words, you can come through the class. Even if you're not sure this is where you want to be a member. But if you want to be a member, this is the place to come and get involved and get connected. You can sign up in the commons area as you leave. You can sign up online, calvaryassembly.org. Make sure you take advantage of Lifetrack. That's number one. Number two, for all of our ministry teams, one of, uh, four times a year we do something called Anointed Excellence. It is one of our most exciting nights. We do Acts chapter two together. We eat together. We fellowship together. We cast vision. I've got some exciting things to share with our leadership team uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, Anointed excellence. You say, well, pastor, who's supposed to be there? If you're on any one of our ministry teams, anointed excellence is mandatory. It's not an option. Why? Because we need to be moving in the same track, going together, knowing what the focus is. Uh, So we want you to be here. You've heard information, 6.30 Tuesday night. I'll be giving you an update on our town center development. I'll be sharing uh, outreach coming up this summer, casting vision as we're going into the year. It'll be one of the most exciting times we have. So that's Wednesday. So life track, um, excuse me, life track on Wednesday, uh, anointed excellence for all of our ministry teams Tuesday night. And then the third thing, there were three, life track, anointed excellence. And number three is Mother's Day. Uh, I want to make sure that you take advantage of, of openness in people's life. We saw what happened Easter Sunday by being proactive and inviting people. Well, Mother's Day is the second most attended Sunday of the year. And so I want to get you to circle back around with your Easter invitees, uh, your family, bring them in. Uh, Pastor Phyllis and and our Valley Girls are going to be uh, conducting and and leading the service that day. She's going to bring a word. Uh, It's going to be the finality, uh, the big final uh, uh, exclamation point of the Escape Room series. Ladies, in both services, there's going to be a big escape spa package. Now, how many of you ladies want to escape to the spa? Come on. A big escape spa package given uh, in both services. Uh, going to be some special awards to our moms. Uh, it's going to be a great day. So uh, we're excited about next Sunday. I can't wait to see what is going to happen there. Well, we're going today, uh, as I said, I'm going to go into this next message on escape room. Now, what's an escape room? It's a trend, uh, kind of something that people are doing as, as a group activity corporate activity, date night activity. It's one of these things that it's something about us uh, that we like to have a little adrenaline rush. People like to, so what's an escape room? Well, you go into this room, uh, they lock you in the room, and you have to find clues to help you get out of the room. There's some helpful clues, and then there's some clues that, that lead you in the wrong direction. But the bottom line is, an escape room, once you go in, you've only got a certain amount of time before you can get out. So we started looking last week at what I believe is one of the most detrimental things happening in people's lives today. I can tell you today that in this room, and I want to tell you that myself as your pastor, that I've had to deal with this issue in my life, and that's the issue of offenses. How do, we're going to read something about offenses. Everyone in this room has had an offense committed against them. How many heard what I just said? 
there's nobody in this room that's saying, I hope everybody else is listening. No, we're all listening. Come on. In fact, let's, let me help you. I want you to kindly tap the person next to you and say, you really need to hear this message. Go ahead and help me out. Say, you know. In fact, tell them this. Nothing personal, but you really need to hear this message. All right. We've all dealt with offenses. Here's the issue. Are we going to become offended? That's the room that we have to escape from. I began to talk about that last week. Everyone that lives, according to Jesus, is going to have an opportunity to become offended. How we deal with the offenses that come in life will determine our future. All right? So let's look at these scriptures. Uh, and, and we're going to get in the escape room and believe God's going to get us out. Now, now look at this. This is what Jesus said, all right? Luke 17, 1, King James translation. Then said he unto the disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. Okay, has everybody got that? Are we on track? It's a, it, listen, if, if, if you're in denial, you're in the escape room and you've been there longer than you think you have. Okay, everybody with me? It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe to him through whom they come. So you don't want to be the offender. Come on, everybody say amen to that. All right? We, I, want to be, I don't want to be the person causing offenses, but the Bible says we're all going to deal with this, right? Uh, from the Amplified Translation, let's look at this verse. Jesus said to his disciples, stumbling blocks. See, watch this, watch this terminology. These are, the Amplified Translation just expands the synonyms, uh, helping us get you know, the, the different inflections of the meaning of these verses. So stumbling blocks. Temptations and traps set to lure one to sin are sure to come. So what is an offense? An offense is when somebody hurts you. An offense is when something happens in your life that causes you pain. But what we need to understand, that offense is really what? It is a trap set to lure you into sin. That's what an offense is. It is a trap. And, you, and here's what I want you to see. The person who created the offense against you is really not the author of the offense. Satan is. The person who brought the offense in your life is just a puppet that Satan is using to tempt us to fall into a trap and bring sin in our life. Everybody with me? All right. So they're sure to come, but woe, judgment comes to him through who the offenses are committed. So we, we cannot control who brings offense against us. You can be living your life and doing absolutely nothing wrong, and offenses will come. Offenses can come in your life, and they're not your fault. They weren't your plan. You wish they hadn't happened, and we need to accept that. So let's get that from the beginning. Now, remember what I said. I'm using some illustrations from John Bevere's book, The Bait of Satan, a great book speaking about offenses. And this is one of the things he tells us in that book about this trap of offense. He says there's two things that make a trap effective. Now, we saw here in Luke 17, 1, offenses will come. And what are offenses? They are traps to lure us into sin. So two things are necessary. Remember this from last week for a trap to be successful. Number one, it has to be hidden. Nobody steps into a trap on purpose, right? It has to be hidden. And number two, it must be baited. So what happens? The, the bait lured us into the trap. How do you catch an animal in a trap? The trap is hidden. So what, what caused the animal to get close enough to the trap to be caught? The bait in the trap. What happens to us? So, so let's look at this. We're going along in life, and life is going well, and, and you have plans, and God has plans, and, 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 and things are just going really well. But, but you know, you, you're, you're, you're walking around, and, and, and something happens. You know? You start, quote, unquote, smelling something in this room. You with me? Don't go in that room. There's a trap in there. But pastor... Oh, I got a foot in. But they treated me bad. I got another foot in. But you know what? I'm the innocent victim. Oh, you got another foot in. And I have a right to be offended. Oh, you're coming in this room now. You understand? So what happens? You, you, you just went in the escape room. And you took three or four steps and you're like, wonder why that door closed. And so now I'm in this room. 
and there's something luring me, there was a bait. Somebody hurt my feeling. Somebody said something. Somebody treated me unkindly. Somebody didn't recognize me. Someone rejected me. And what happens is that we get in this room, and the problem is that often, once we're here trapped and offended, we took the bait. What's wrong with this? We don't realize we're trapped in here. You know why? Because all our, of our attention is on the person who hurt me, and we stop looking at ourselves. I'm oblivious to the fact I'm not offended, I'm right. Do you know you can be right and still get offended if you're not careful? How many are with me? Do you know that you didn't have to do anything wrong? I told you it was a trap. It was a lure. Somebody did something. And so what happens, we become unaware of our condition because we are so focused on what someone else did to me that I don't realize I'm in bad shape too. So you know what happens, here I am trapped in the escape room and I'm walking around inside this escape room looking at everybody outside. And I feel justified. Isn't it sad? I'm trapped in a room. It's like I'm in a jail cell. And I'm looking out of the window at all these mean people out there. And I don't realize I'm in jail because I'm just watching them. You know what? They're not looking. (laughs) You're the guy in the jail looking out the window. They're the ones walking around enjoying life. But, But no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just fine. Yeah, you're just fine in that room. So, so what happens, we, we need to begin to understand that how we respond to offenses will determine everything about our future. Amen. Can Christians be offended? Yes. Can Christians be offended? Yes. You mean, Pastor, you mean, can I love Jesus and I'm born again and I'm going to heaven and I go to church and God loves me? Yes. Is all that true? Yes. And you mean I can be offended loving Jesus going to church? Yes. Do you know there will be people who die and go to heaven offended? Now, when they get to heaven, they won't be offended because we'll be perfect. But you understand, so pastor, well then, what's the big deal? It's what we were robbed of in this life. It's the impact of what that did to us. So let's look at another verse. I want you to see this. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus prophesied, forecast the condition of our offended culture that we live in today. I want to tell you something. We live in an in and offended culture today. How many are listening to me this morning? We live in an offended culture. And Jesus told us it would happen. Look at this in Matthew 24, 10, King James translation. And then, look at this, shall who? Only a few dirty, rotten, heathen, pagan. Those nasty old people that don't go to church with me. Come on. What does it say? Many, many. And then shall many be offended. And look what happens. Watch. Here, here's the effect. This is why this is important. I want you to see this. Because offended people never keep their pain to themselves. And then shall many be offended. And then what happens? They will betray one another and shall hate one another. My. Look at the effect of this. Let's keep reading. Look at verse number 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. So what does that have to do with that? You see what happens when offenses are in place? We're easily deceived. The love of God grows cold in our hearts. Deception begins to rise. Let's keep reading. Because of iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. So what happens? The Bible says that in the day and time we're living, that offenses will be widespread. That the, the, the danger of becoming offended is going to be almost everywhere. So what do we, what do we need to see? I don't, how many say, Pastor, I don't want to be offended? Come on, can I see your hand? I don't want to become offended. Let's be honest, just so we know we're okay. How many of you in this room have had the opportunity? I didn't say you took it. How many of us in this room today have had the opportunity to become offended sometime in life? Let me, let me see that. Okay, watch this. How many of you have had the opportunity to become offended with a person in your family? Let me see your hand. Wow. What about a coworker? What about a classmate? I don't want to ask about church, okay? I just, it hurt me too much. So watch this. We need to get this, don't we? We need to get this. There's some great help for us today. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit to come in this room this morning. What are we reading from these verses? It's pretty, it's quite uh, staggering to be honest. 
It's almost like we're sitting and going, wow, Pastor, I, I, don't talk about this. Let's talk about something else. No, because we have to get this right in the body of Christ. It's very important. Why? Well, the Bible says that it's prevalent. Many are going to deal with this, okay? And, and, and we understand that it, this could happen to any one of us. And we understand this is really serious because what we read, we just read in Matthew 24, is that offended people begin to betray each other. And betrayal creates hate. And then it spreads everywhere. So let's do like we did last week. I, I'm going to show you this in a, in a man's life in Scripture, a real person who walked through some of the deepest offenses you can imagine and how he overcame it. And God's going to set some people free today. Before we pray, pray, I want you to tell some people around you, I'm going to get free today. Come on, tell somebody that. Make a confession. I'm going to be free today. I'm going to be free. Tell somebody God is going to do something big in your life today. Come on, let's speak faith. Let's speak faith. God is going to do something big in your life today. I'm not here just to teach a lesson. We're here to receive something from God. Amen? Okay, come on, let's pray. Everybody, would you pray with me? Father, our hearts are open to you right now. Lord, we have read your word. We see the gravity of this issue in our lives. Lord, any one of us in this room is a candidate to become offended. And yet, you have the victory for us. We can overcome these things. We can escape the room, the trap, the lure. We can live a life of freedom. We can move on. We can be blessed. And so we say to you today, Lord, my ears are open to the Holy Spirit. My heart is submitted to you today. Lord, we declare that if there's any place the enemy has trapped us, we are being set free today in the name of Jesus. Today, Father, we expose the lives of Satan. Today, we pull back the curtain. Today, by your word, by your spirit, we are walking in freedom today. There is healing and deliverance and release in this room today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. Amen. Well, let's look at the life of Joseph. Let's think of Joseph for a moment. Here was a young man, and, and let me just quickly kind of take you through his life, and let's, let's look at some uh, choices he made. Uh, what is an offense? Somebody has hurt us. Somebody has done something. Uh, let me go back to this question. What if we have genuinely been mistreated? What if something has happened in our life that was wrong? We were unfairly treated. Uh, someone did something wrong to us. Do I have a right to be offended? That's the question. Do I have the right to be offended since I was unjustly treated? That's the wrong question. Do I have the right to be offended? The question is, is it worth being offended? Okay? It's not do I have the right. The question is, how am I going to respond? So let's look at Joseph. Was he unjustly treated? Absolutely. At, a, at the age of 17, Genesis 37 tells us that, that God came to Joseph and gave him two dreams. Joseph was the 11th son uh, in the family. He was the youngest son at this time. He was the son that, uh, that was born to his father's favorite wife. Do I need to say any more about that? I mean, you, you understand what I'm saying. Uh, it's dysfunction junction over at his house. You, you, you got what I mean. So, so we already got problems. So Joseph was born in a family. His father greatly favored him. His brothers greatly resented that. You understand what that's like. His father gave him this colorful robe. In that day and time, the outer garment, the cloak, was indicative of your position in the family. It was really your outer identity. And so what his father did, his father broke all protocol. His father elevated him in importance above his own brothers who were older. There was great resentment. God spoke to this young man, gave him two dreams. In one, uh, the interpretation of the dream, his brothers were bowed down and, and honored him as a leader. Boy, they were incensed. In the next dream, not only his brothers, but his brothers and his mother and his father were subservient to him, and he was a leader in their life. So the, the animosity is growing in Jacob's family. The Bible says his brothers hated him. Uh, Joseph had really done nothing to them. There were some issues with his father's favoritism, but this man, this young man, early in life is being mistreated. His family's a toxic place. His, his, uh, it, it's a difficult place to be a part of. His father sends him out to check on his older brothers, and while he's there finding his brothers, they see him coming, and they say, hey, let's, let's deal with this dreamer boy. And their first plan was to kill him. 
And then they capture him. They throw him in a dry well. They take the beautiful coat that they all resented. They ripped it into pieces. They killed an animal. They dipped his coat in the blood. They said, we're going to take, Father, we were out here watching the sheep and found Joseph's coat. Some animal's eating him and he's dead. While they're contemplating that, a, a, a band of slave traders comes by. And they say, well, you know what? That boy's not worth killing. Let's pull him out of the dry well, sell him as a slave, tell dad he's dead. At least we'll make some money off of him. And that was his place in life. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Your own brothers, your own family want to kill you. Your own family sells you as a slave. There is mistreatment. There are offenses committed against him. The slave train takes him down into Egypt. And there, one of Pharaoh, the king's uh, military leaders, buys him as a slave. His name is Potiphar. And so Joseph is serving in Potiphar's house. The Bible says that Potiphar, even though he's not a believer in the Most High God, recognizes the hand of God is on Joseph's life. And Joseph is promoted under Potiphar's house, and Potiphar, Potiphar puts everything under his control. Everything is going better for Joseph until Mrs. Potiphar. Now, Joseph has some real characters in his life. Listen to me. There is not a person on this planet that doesn't have some crazy people in their life. If you keep waiting for a perfect life, you're going to have to go live in a closet till you go to heaven. If you think you could be a better person if the crazy people weren't in your life, you're never going to be a better person. There are going to be some crazy people. How many listen to what I'm saying? You're going to have weird uh, Uncle Harry and crazy Aunt Wanda, and you're going to have mean sis, this one and that one and a bad boss and lazy employees. And Everybody with me? And there are going to be people that just don't understand what a great person you are and haven't seen your potential and don't know what, that you're God's gift to the world. They're just going to be out there. So Joseph is now, uh, this woman tries to seduce this young man. And I want you to think about this. Here's this young man who's been mistreated, who's been misunderstood. He's been sold as a slave. He's serving this man Potiphar faithfully. He's in a far country. Nobody knows what's going on. Uh, this woman presents him this opportunity, and he refuses it. So she lies and says he rapes her, and he's thrown in prison. Another offense committed against him. While he's in prison, though, he's such a man of integrity that the warden puts Joseph over everything in the prison. So while he's there, he's still serving. He's doing well. And then Pharaoh throws two of his servants in prison. They have dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams. Uh, one, he says, you're going to be executed. The other, you're going to go back to your position. He says, hey, when you go back, remember me. What did he do when he went back? He forgot him. Offense after offense after offense after offense after offense. Is anybody tracking with me? I don't think any of us in this room could say, nobody knows what I'm going through. Okay? Can, can we be honest? I know you don't want me to say that today, maybe because it kind of feels good. Well, you know, we like it in the escape room, you know. You know, it feels, look, it feels good in here. And look, let me scratch my offended itch. Nobody knows the trouble that I've seen. Oh, Jesus. Nobody knows. You know, we'll get spiritual about it. Only me and Jesus know. Just me and the Lord know what this feels like. Joseph, what are you going to do? Forgotten in prison. Can you imagine that sequence of events? It's one thing to be thrown in prison because you committed a crime, but to be a slave in a prison in a foreign land, lied about, misjudged, mistreated, one offense after the other committed against this man. But what I want you to see, guys, come here. This is what I want you to get. And that Joseph's battle with offense was not just with his brothers, but somewhere in this process, Joseph and you and I and everyone who's ever had an offense committed against them, it's not only the person who did it, somewhere we come to the place and we have to ask you a question, is God still in control in my life? Is God still in control in my life? Does he know who I am? Does he know where I am? Does God even care about me anymore? See, that's where the issue really comes in our lives. He's a, could he be offended at his brothers? Yes. But somewhere he begins to wonder, is God in control? We have to ask ourselves. Maybe today you're walking through a tough place. I told you to begin this time. I have had to make some hard decisions in my life. I as a pastor, I as a Christian, I as a person living in this, on this planet have had offenses committed against me. And I've had to ask myself some questions. We've all had this bait thrown in front of us. 
We've all had the opportunity to become offended. So, so maybe as we're looking at Joseph and processing what God is saying to us, may, maybe we need to ask ourselves, am I offended? W- w- would you ask yourself that this morning? Could, could, could it be, am I offended? Boy, come on, Pastor, don't do it to me. It's Sunday. We're supposed to be goosebumping right now. Am I offended? Well, here's the test. Here's the test. Anybody want to take the test? Did you ask, could, could I be offended? Well, here's the test, all right? If I'm doing this stuff, I, I could be in the trap. Am I blaming others for the condition I'm in right now? Then I'm offended because I have taken my eyes off God as my source and placed them on this person who hurt me. So when I'm offended, I begin to talk like this. Here, here's a classic statement of a person caught in the escape room of offense. If it weren't for so-and-so, I'd be fine right now. If it weren't for my parents, I'd be okay. If it weren't for my boss, I'd be all right. If it weren't for that sickness, I'd be good. If it were not for that misunderstanding, if it was not for that, you see what happens? And Joseph had to walk through that minefield of offenses. Jesus warned us, the offenses are going to come, but God has help for us when those times come in our life. Just because the offenses come does not mean I have to become offended. See, let's step back for a minute. Here's Joseph walking through a series of offenses, but we're asking ourselves, did he become offended? If he did not, what can we learn? So let's look at this. Joseph's battle with becoming offended, as I said, was not only his brothers, but also is God in control. You see, all these things happen to Joseph, but let's ask ourselves this question. Who gave him the dreams? God did. Who told him that he was going to lead his family? God did. And so along this journey at certain given points, it's going to feel like, look like, smell like, think like that God's lost control. That he doesn't know who you are. And, and we forget the God who gave the dream and the plan because of what other people are doing to us. But let me give you some good news today that I'm going to come back to again in a moment when we close. And you need to understand this today. There is no woman. There is no man. There is no devil. There is no circumstance. There is no power that has the ability to stop the will of God for your life. No matter what anyone else does. God told Joseph, this is what I'm going to do. And God never forgets a promise that he makes. God never loses the power to back up what he says. And so what we have to remember walking through the minefield of offenses is that God is still God. He is still in control. Now, I have choices to make along the way. If I choose to live in the trap of offense and I become offended, then I, listen to me, put the plan of God on my life on hold. God has the power to do what he said. Listen to me again. And no one can stop the will of God in your life and my life except us. Did you get what I just said? Except us. So, What do I need to do walking through these offenses? I need to remember. I need to get my eyes off the people who are creating offense. I need to get my eyes back on the God whose hand is on my life. I need to realize that God is faithful. See, see, uh, look, look at this, Genesis 37, 20. Joseph's brothers intentionally tried to stop the will of God for his life. Look, this is when they saw him coming. This is, look, come now, let's kill him. And throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams on purpose. We're going to kill him. We're going to kill his dream. We're going to stop the will of God. There may be people in your life so difficult that on purpose they say, we're going to jerk them out of the will of God. But the good news is, God's still in control. God is able to do what God will do. So what happens? Now Joseph, I left him forgotten and abandoned in that prison. But God's in control, right? God still knows who he is and what he's doing. And so uh, Pharaoh has a dream. (laughs) 
and nobody can solve the dream. And finally, Pharaoh's official, his cupbearer, says, Oh, my goodness. I forgot this guy. I forgot this guy. He says, Pharaoh, I know where you can get some help. And they rush into the dungeon, and they pull Joseph out of the dungeon, and they bring him before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells him the dream, and Joseph says, You know, I know the God who has the answer to your dream, sir. And God gives him the interpretation, and he gives it to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's overwhelmed, and in a matter of hours, Joseph is jerked out of prison and becomes the second highest leader, ruler on in the nation of Egypt. He interprets the dream, spares that nation from a famine, saves the nation. Why? Because this man, walking through all the offenses that have been made against him, kept believing that God is in control, that God is who he says he is, that God has the ability to do what he promised me. See, three times, watch this, this may help you. Maybe you're working in a place right now that you feel like is not fair. Listen to me, three times in Joseph's life, he was elevated to second in command. Three times he had everything but the title. He was the most influential. He was doing everything that made it work. In Potiphar's house, Potiphar put him over everything. When he went to prison, in the prison, they put him over everything. When he comes under Pharaoh, Pharaoh puts him over everything. Why did Joseph not envy the throne of Pharaoh? Because he had his heart set on the throne of God. See, when my heart is where it belongs, I don't need what you have. I don't jealous. I don't want it. I don't resent it. I don't care about it. Your promotion is good for me. Your position's great for me. If we will stop looking what other people have and put our heart on the throne of God and know that God's plan for me is the best plan. You don't want what I have and I don't want what you have. You don't need what I have and I don't need what you have. What you need and what I need is the will of God in my life. And I refuse to let your blessing cause me to be discouraged. I've had people tell me in church, this shocks me. I never even thought like this till I heard it one time. Somebody says, I don't want to come to church. I said, why? They said, I don't want to hear the testimony. I said, why? You don't want to hear any good news? No. Why? Because it hasn't happened for me yet. I said, dear God. Man, every time I hear your testimony, I'm like, yes, sir. Look at our God. Come on. Not, not their God, our God. He's our God. Every time somebody's blessed, hallelujah. Every time God does something good, thank you, God. It's not like somebody stole your blessing. Do we think God only has seven or eight promotions over this church and three or four raises and two or three healings and one or two breakthroughs? My God, he's got greater than you can ask or imagine or dream or ever think of in your mind. So I need to hurry on. So Joseph, man, he just keeps doing the right thing. We get a little insight, though. So what happens? He's promoted now. He's blessed now. And, 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 and uh, he says, look, Pharaoh says, man, look, you, you need a wife. And he gets married. He's got a family. We get a little insight. Listen to this. Here, here's some insight. This is huge for us. This is what an unoffended person thinks like. Are you with me? Had he had chances to be offended? Oh, come on. So many offenses committed against this man, we can't count them. But how does an unoffended man think? Well, watch this. He gets married. He has two sons. Their names, Genesis 41, 51 and 52. He says, so I'm going to name my first son. Look what he named his first boy. Now, he's, he's still down in Egypt. All these brothers and people that treat him bad and put him there, right? Over here. So he has a boy. What does he say? He named his firstborn Manasseh. Look, look. Why? Because God made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. You know what he said? I'm going to name this boy Manasseh. You know what I'm saying? I've forgotten it. I've forgiven it. I've forgiven it. You know, you'll never forget something you don't forgive. Come on. Come on. You see, he said, so, so what does he do? First time God blesses, he said, you know, I'm going to name this blessing. I'm naming this blessing. My past is over. I'm out of the trap. I've forgotten it. I've forgiven it. I've moved on. God gives him another son. See, forgiveness comes first, and look, look what comes second. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it's because, look at this, God made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Woo! 
Does anybody understand that? He said, you know what? The enemy tried to kill me. My brothers tried to kill me. They created offenses against me. But through this journey, I have reminded myself, God is in control. I choose to forget it. I choose to forgive you. And God says, now I can bless you. I'm going to make you fruitful right in the middle of that place. So finally, what happens? You know what happens? Joseph's mean brothers over here that did all this to him, finally they run out of food. And someone says, I heard there was food down in Egypt. Now, if you're into revenge, you're rubbing your hands right now. Come on, baby, it's getting good. Because they think Joseph is dead. And now they've got to go where? To Joseph, who they think is dead, to beg for food. So they get down there, and they walk in, and Joseph looks at his brothers, and he says, ah, there they are. Now, he's the man, you understand? One this, and they're dead, and nobody ever knows where they are. You can bury a lot of people in that sand down in Egypt. You understand what I'm saying? One, one move, and they're done. It's all over. But I want you to look at Matthew 5, 44. This is what he did. Come on, what, what's in you and me when your accusers and your haters and people that were offenses? He says, look at this. He just, I called it, he Matthew 44 to him, Matthew 5, 44 to him. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. His brothers came in, and he says, let's give them food. Let's take care of them. Go get my dad and bring him back. When they realized it was Joseph, they were in horror. Can you imagine? And, and guess what? And then all of a sudden, there was this moment where this happened. All those brothers are down in front of him like this. And here's this man who had this dream when he was 17 years old. And for years, the devil said, God's a liar. God can't do it. It's never going to happen. Look what everybody did to you. If it weren't for your brothers, it would have happened. If it weren't for this, it wouldn't have happened. If it weren't for Potiphar's wife, it would have happened. If it weren't for the prison, it would have happened. If it weren't for the man who forgot you, it would have happened. And Joseph looks up, and there's the dream right in front of his face. And what does Joseph do? Does he seek revenge? No. He loved his enemies, and he prayed for those who had been there, and he blessed them, and he blessed them. And he blessed them. And he took care of them. And he watched over them. Look, you've got to see this. Come on, before we look at this, I want to go to Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. Genesis 45, 5. Can you, see, can you guys over here see this board? If you, let me, let, let's, let's move the door of the fence over here like this. All right, here we go. All right, look, I want you to see this. You gotta, and now, do not be distressed. This is him to his brothers. The people who heard him. Watch this. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Watch this. Because it was to save lives that... Oh, I thought his brother sent him down there. Is God in control? Look, God sent me ahead of you. Come on, let's look at this next. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. Next verse. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. You know what he said? God never lost control of my life. There were days I didn't understand and moments I didn't like and situations that hurt. Look at Psalm 105, verse 16 and 17. Psalm 105, 16 and 17. Look at this. Look at this. Uh, uh, well, you know what? Did I go all the way to verse 19 on this? I hope I did. Because uh, I want to go there. Look. He called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. This was in Egypt. Watch this. 17. And he sent a man. Who sent him? God did. And he sent a man before them. Joseph sold as a slave. Look at verse 18. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. Look at this verse 19. Man, I love this. Till what he foretold came to pass... Till the word of the Lord proved him true. Here's what I want you to see. And I want to go back and say this again. There is no devil in hell. There is no demon out of the pit of hell. There is no human being on this planet. There is no dysfunctional family. There is no unkind, unfair, mean word. There is no gathering of circumstances. There is no accumulation of offenses that have the power to break the will of God in your life. If you will stay faithful to Almighty God, what looks like reversal may be the very plan of God. You see, you know what Joseph said? You thought you sent me down here, but God sent me down here. 
God knew that there was only one way the dream was going to come true. And the dream was bigger than me just having my brothers worship me. The dream was to save a nation, to save a family, to keep the seed of God's promise alive. What I want you to understand today is that you and I cannot afford to be trapped and become offended. God's plan for you is bigger and greater and grander and more amazing than we could ever understand. But here's the conclusion. And I want you to get this with me today. I want you to go to, uh, let, let's, let's look at Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. Here's what happens when I'm trapped in a fence. When I'm in this room and I can't get out. And I stay here too long because I forget that God's in control. Watch this. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Look at this next verse. Ah, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile who? Do you know what revenge is? Well, let me put it this way. Bitterness. Bitterness is unfulfilled revenge. Bitter people are people planning revenge, and it hasn't happened yet. We become bitter when we don't forgive. We become bitter when we stay in the trap. We become bitter because we're saying, listen, I said it last week, I want to say it again. You owe me. You owe me. See, what if David, watch this, when all of his brothers came and bowed in front of him, and he had, he had the position in. You got me? All the power was David's in. Of Joseph, excuse me. Joseph had them where he wanted them. You know what he could have said? You better say you're sorry. You better ask me to forgive you. You better apologize to me. You better tell me you were wrong. <laughs> Just yesterday, one of my little granddaughters, uh, we had a conversation with she and her mom and I, and something happened to her at school. Little girl did something really wrong to her. And so she got mad and she did something wrong back to her. Because that's how we operate, right? You hurt me, I hurt you. You, you, you offend me, I'm going to offend you. We're all just a bunch of offended people running around. So her mother says, well, that's not right. You have to go say you're sorry. So she didn't want to do that, but she did. Watch this. But so, so she went and told the little girl she was sorry, but she came back really upset to her mom. She said, what's wrong? She said, did you tell her sorry? Yeah, but she didn't tell me she was sorry back. <laughs> you know what the problem with that is? We're still collecting debts. You didn't forgive anybody. Forgiveness, you, you get me, is not a tool to get something back. Forgiveness is what breaks me out of the trap so I'm right before God. And if I'm only saying I want to reconcile with you so I'll feel better, I'm never going to get this right. See, so if I'm saying this, you were truthfully mistreated. What they did was wrong. And you go through life saying they need to apologize to me. They need to say they're sorry. They need to say they were wrong. They need to say I was right. And watch, as long as you live like that. And they were wrong. But now you're trapped. And as long as I'm in this room saying, as soon as you say you're sorry, I'm going to get out. Well, I hope you like it in there. As soon as they admit it's their fault, I'm going to get out. As soon as they confess their sin, I'm going to get out. The question is, how do you like that room? How's that working for you? How's that trap feel? What's going on in the people around you? What poison is going in my other relationships? Go back to Hebrews 12, uh, 15 here. Let, let's, let's look at this. What, 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 what bitter root is growing in my marriage? What bitter root is growing in my children? What bitter root is growing in my house? Do you understand? What's the value? What's the price? How, how, how important is collecting that debt? We don't forgive people because they deserve it. We don't forgive people because they ask for it. We forgive people because Jesus told us to. We forgive because he told us to. 
And then when we try to figure out, well, how does that work? He gave us a parable and said there was a man who, who was going to settle all of his accounts and he brought a guy in and the first guy in. Are you ready for this? If you do the calculation on the number of talents of gold he owed, are you ready? Four billion dollars. And that foolish man said, just give me some time. I'll pay you back. Oh, really? The picture is salvation. We'll never pay back what Jesus did on the cross. We accept the grace of God. And it's, it's, it's that kind of debt. But the crazy thing is, then he goes outside and finds a man that owed him $36 and threw him into prison. And when his friends heard about it, they told the guy that forgave him the $4 billion. He said, bring that rascal here and throw him into prison till he pays me back. Well, he died in prison. What Jesus did for us, compared to what anyone has ever done to us, is so much greater that the measure of our forgiveness is not what they did, it's what Jesus did. It's not because they deserve it, it's because he declared it. But when you forgive, it doesn't enable them. You're not saying, you can hurt me again and again and again. It doesn't mean I like what you did. It doesn't mean it's right what you did. But what it means is this. I will no longer make you my source. I will no longer live in the trap. I will say that my God is my source, and I forgive you because he told me to. When you start that process, bitterness begins to go out of your life. Freedom begins to come into your life. There's a new wind inside your family. There's a new blessing inside your marriage. How do you do it? Listen to me. You make a choice. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not you. You say, you know what? You say, I'm free. Nobody owes me anymore. I'm going to tell you, it's a good feeling to walk around and not be a debt collector. It's a good feeling for the first time in a long time to get outside that doggone room and bring some fresh air back into your life and say, God, I'm good. <coughs> Excuse me. So I want you to stand with me. Musicians, come. Stand. Come on. Stand right here. Don't go. Just stand. Don't go. Stand. We're going to pray. Pastor, what do I do? I'd love to tell you that every time I've ever had the opportunity to be offended, I prayed one little prayer and it was all over, but it didn't work that way for me. Come on, let's get real. Listen, right now the Holy Spirit's going to heal some people. Are you ready? It was a process for me. It was a process. First, I had to choose to say, I'm going to do what God says. How many are listening to me? How many want out of the trap? Come on. How many want to be free? First, I had to make a choice. I don't want to live here anymore. I don't want to live here anymore. The next thing I had to do was, as I made that choice, I had to humble myself and say, God, my eyes are on you and not on them. Because there's something about us that wants revenge. Tell the truth. We want people to pay. We want people to pay. So I have to humble myself and say, God, you're the judge what scripture says I'm not the judge he's the judge you're the judge the word of God says that I'm forgiven as I forgive now I don't know about you I'm going to probably need some forgiveness going forward from today anybody else think you might need forgiveness sometime after today think you might misstep here or there somewhere there's some really perfect people in the room not everybody raise their hand that's okay it's a process Have you ever thought you were through with it, then you see them again? You know what I'm talking about? I thought it was all good, and then I saw them like, oh. My grandfather, my dad's father, he was a tough old bird, man. He was tough. I don't think he ever called me my name. I think he he knew my name. He just called me boy all the time. So he never... Big guy, tough guy, tough talker. He just didn't know how. It's just, he'd always say, he put his hands up and he said, Boy, which one you want? Six months in the hospital or paralyzed? <laughs> I don't know, Grandpa, you pick. <laughs> Is there a third option? I might. So that was, you understand? Some people just, they're not going to say things, they're not going to get it. But you make choices. And there's sometimes I thought I was there. Then I saw that person. And the spirit of my grandfather wanted to get on me. Which one you want? Six months in the hospital or paralysis? (laughs) 
we're going to have payday. I'm just being honest with you. But just because I thought it doesn't mean I had to do it. So in those moments, what do you do? You humble yourself. And I try to take my fist and make them my worship and say, God, you got to help me. You got to help me. You got to help me, God. You got to help me. You got to help me, God. You got to help me, God. You have to help me, God. It's a process. And you know what I've learned? Are you ready for this? That Matthew 5, 44 thing. Jesus. I'm trying to help you guys. This is real life. I don't want to just do theory. I want to help you. I want your next week to be better than last week. God wants your next year to be better than your last year. You understand that? God wants you to know that he's still in control. But we don't need to mess it up. The process. Pray for those. Oh, boy, that was hard. I remember the early prayers. God bless them. Amen. I said, I prayed. You ever been there? I'm just trying to be as transparent as I can. Okay, God bless them. God bless them. Thank you, God. Give them a good day. Don't let me see them again. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Just stay with it. Maybe a week or two later, the prayer got a little better. You understand? It's a process. It's a process. Then I really, you begin to mean the prayer. Then you see them again. It's all right. I mean, it's not like you want to sit down and have lunch. But it's all right. You got me? You got me. We're good. I'm good. You hear their name and you say, I hope they're blessed. And you mean it. Hope they're blessed. Hope life's good. Hope their family's doing well. Hope everything's going good. You know what? God's in control. God's in control. Don't hold on to the people that are trying to pull you out of the will of God. Why would I hold the person who's trying to ruin my life? Why would you hold the person through unforgiveness that's trying to pull you away from God's best? Let go. Forgive them. Bless them. Humble yourself. Make a choice. Cast down the imaginations. Are you with me? Cast down the imaginations. If somebody's telling you things about that person, listen to me. Listen to me. If somebody keeps talking to you about that situation and causing it to go over and over in your mind, you tell that person, I can't have this conversation. It's your life. You better take charge of it. I can't have this conversation. Well, what if, what if, what if they don't like it? Well, you know, again, you're not being ugly, but I can't have this conversation. I'm trying to get my heart right before God. I'm in a healing process. I can't have that conversation. They'll respect that. If they don't, you need to remove yourself out of that situation. Hurt people hurt people. Offended people want everyone else to be offended. People that are still in the trap don't understand the people that have left the trap. But you have to know that God's in control. So today, I want us to let go of some things. That person that hurt you so badly, listen to me. Don't let them keep hurting you right now. Don't live your life in the trap. I hear the Holy Spirit saying so many things in, in the Spirit right now. Listen to me. God wants this marriage you're in right now blessed. God wants this marriage you're in right now blessed. Stop opening the door for what broke this to break where you are right now. Let it go. Let it go. Quit trying to relive it. Let it go. God wants you blessed. God wants you healthy and whole. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.